0: All right, everybody, welcome to uh, May QPSC. Um, thank you for attending. It's May 24th. A reminder to everyone speak speak clearly into the microphones. Uh, this is all being recorded, and this is how I listen to and take down minutes. Uh, so uh, with that, let's start off with a roll call with, a cu- with the first note that trustees Hernandez and trustees Lawrence are excused. So with that, um, <coughs> trustee uh, Banerjee? Here. Trustee Bouquet? Here. Trustee Charland? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. Uh, uh, Dr. Chu? Here. Uh, Dr. Hearn? Here. Dr. Magalong? Here. All right. Uh,
1: We have a quorum. Uh, We have all in attendance. And with that, we are going to move into closed session. Uh, Discussion of a couple of items under government code section 956.5. Yes, sir. Thank you, council.
0: Uh everybody, we are back into open session. This is QPSC, May 24, um, back into open session. Just as a reminder, everyone, please use their microphones during your presentation. With that, we'll move to item B, the consent agenda, a motion to approve the consent agenda. So moved. Second. Um, uh, I'll, o- I'll open this up for dialogue on the consent agenda. Any comments on the consent agenda from the trustees? I do have one comment. This is per an email from Trustee Hernandez, uh, who is not present today. She's had a family member's graduation. Yeah, I think they did start off the tape. Is that okay? You want me to
1: hold? David, is the tape running? Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay. We're good? Yeah. With regard to the minutes, Trustee Hernandez noted that the minutes uh, from last month's meeting did not Oh, did not reflect one detail about the behavioral health SBU report. Specifically, she noted that we were looking at falls as a metric across all the facilities, but the committee expressed a specific desire to have reporting on assaults at John George. She wanted to remind us of this conversation as to n- not lose track of it and to work towards getting that on our dashboard. So I just want to make note of she wanted that amendment into the minutes. Um, Trustee Banerjee.
2: And, uh, oh no. I had the approval of the minutes for, uh, there's a typo on the minutes on page 7 and it says, instead of moral, I think it says morals. It and does, I don't it think does, that <laughs> is correct. <It> <laughs> <morals>. I think <laughs> don't, Dean, don't your morals around. are pretty intact, so I just <laughs> <laughs> wanted to make sure. No <laughs> Dr. Hearn is very
0: moral, <laughs> <on that>, uh, <laughs> so it, it is appropriate. for <laughs> him Um, There was one policy to approve, which is kind of a record for us or a record low. Mm -hmm. It was the credentialing and privileging of HIV AIDS specialists. To recall, we've seen this policy, but it was previously errantly embedded in the closed session. That's why we could not approve it, because it was not open. So that's why it's back. I note that this policy, we had a one month uh, success of adding names to the policies. For this policy, names were not added to that. So, to the administrative staff, please let's return to that vigilance of keeping names on that. Those are my only comments about the consent agenda. Trustees?
3: No other comments.
0: Uh, with that, all in favor of approving the consent agenda? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstention? The motion carries. Action B. Uh, axiom item B is approved. With well, that, we'll move into item C, report discussion, uh, the chair's discussion. Um, uh, a- as you all saw in your packet, I included another article for us. We're starting to have our own little book club here. The article this month was Taking Healthcare Governance to the Next Level. It's from the New England uh, Journal of Medicine. This is a follow-up to last month's New York Times article. In hospitals, boardrooms are as important as operating rooms. So I'm going to channel Trustee Lawrence, who would say, Taft, why did you choose this article? And I say, well, I believe that we always have opportunity to improve upon the work done in this committee. I think we have an obligation to be even more measured, more rigorous, more disciplined, more strategic, and more proactive in setting the quality agenda for this organization. Um, So I wanted to open this up for dialogue amongst the trustees.
2: Thank you, Taft, and I think that this one um, kind of complements the other one, too, and brings how important it is to have um, this this committee kind of really we um, re- look at our framework and look at what's working, what's not, what kind of dashboards do we need so that we are on a continuous basis. We are getting good stuff that's great, but as we move forward and we want to keep quality patient safety and quality central if there are other things more relevant things that we need to get that should be something we're constantly asking ourselves
4: thank you trustee and, trustee jensen and I think the focus on quality is very important, and I think trying to move from a financial model to one that, that really spends more time delving into the quality aspects of what we do is really critical uh, to our operations. And I think, you know, as we look at things like preventable harm and patient experience, all these things become critically important to the success uh, of the system as a whole. As opposed to spending 99% of our time on finances. Exactly. Thank
3: you. Go ahead. No, I would agree with that. And having been on public boards, I, I would, I would echo that and say that the the financial, um, the financial constituency the the financial accountability is is always going to be there and we're always going to be required mm-hmm. to do that. But what, what I appreciate what we've done, especially in the, um, under your leadership, Dr. Buquette, is to include not just um, not just the quality metrics, which weren't discussed at length in, in my experience in prior um, QPSC, but also to to talk about how those quality metrics impact not only the patients that we have, but the staff as well. And I think that's really, mm-hmm critical to to the bottom line in many ways, so I, I appreciate that.
0: You know, when, when I think about our responsibility, we are assigned the fiduciary responsibility for this organization, but if we go back to the Latin, and I'm not the guy that always goes back to the Latin, fiduciary means to hold in trust. And that includes not only the financial components of our organization, it includes the quality components of our organization. So that's not misinterpreted that fiduciary means only money.
2: Right. Yeah, and I. I Quality exists in context, so when we're talking patient quality, it's how do we, it's all of that, it's workforce, it's staff, how we, you know, communication with our staff, interaction, you said team-based approaches, so there's those kinds of things, but patient quality is not just the outcome metrics that we see, but I hope that in this uh, committee, we'll be looking at all of the aspects that lead to a culture of excellence for our staff, like how do we do, you know, right. if it's physician's contracts, if it's, you know, um, how does use of locums, registry, how does all of these things impact safety and care and all of that so that we, as, as a board, we get a better idea of how, what our oversight And our role is in ensuring that we have the resources, that the system has the resources and the personnel that we need to give the quality of care that we say we we do. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you. So I have a proposal. So going forward, um, I'd like to set a regular agenda item, and this agenda item might be 10 minutes, it might be 30 minutes, to discuss continuous improvement of this committee. Um, Dr. J and I have actually been doing some work on this, but I would like to involve this as a, as a committee dialogue on how we get better. And, and I would envision in this agenda item we can discuss principles, metrics, process, and strategy, and then make that the standard playbook for this committee. And I think that could be an excellent opportunity. So with that, I'd like to propose one new principle item for our playbook and one new process item. So the principal item is uh, is my suggestion is less presentation, more dialogue, less presenting and more dialogue. So I, I you know I made this up as I'm going along. So uh, 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 the guideline I, I would like to suggest to all presenters who come, not not this meeting because I know everyone's already submitted their stuff is. 25% of the time is allotted to presentation, 75% of the time is allotted to dialogue. I think that would make this more robust for us. That would mean some work on, the, on, on, the, on behalf of the presenters, so that's the new process item. I, I believe that all reports that come to this committee must have an attached executive summary. Dr. Jay and I had a, a nice discussion on this. Uh, we, we are currently working on the process for standard work of what this executive summary might be. So so I, I, I think Adrian has actually done a nice kind of model for a narrative to executive summary, mm-hmm. which can and then, of course, in the indices be supported by the data. But I, I think this could be make it. Uh, allow us to utilize this time for dialogue. So those are just my proposals. Um, I'll take a few more commentary and then try to get us back on time.
3: Well, um, with regard to that, uh, and I think that's a a great proposal, what I often find, especially in um, quality issues or uh, accreditation, things like that, I I know that we can always um, see how we're doing based on how we have done in the past, but I would like to see occasionally or more often if it's relevant how we're doing compared to our peer group
0: absolutely and and this quality board gets to help set that agenda uh, about what they want um, any
4: other comments on this section and you, you know I, I agree with trustee Jensen too I think it's critically important that we see how how our, we're stacking up benchmark wise against others in our industry I think that I, I think and so I, I would I would agree with that. And the other thing I thought was great was having an executive summary attached and allowing us to have the opportunity to spend more time in dialogue as opposed to just listening to presentations. So I commend you for that. And I should say,
3: it didn't just occur to me while I was listening to um, the proposal. I also, it came, I I was, um, I noted in some meeting material or some, you know, that um, our hospital does tremendously well in terms of C-sections. Yeah. Although our, you would think that we wouldn't because our, our, um, our patients tend to be more likely to um, be have an intervention as cesarean section. But we, we are very high, and so those types of things compared to even um, the, our local hospitals that don't take as the same that don't have the same risk pool that we do.
5: Yeah, I, I think that's actually critical that there are peers and there are peers. And there are, so I'd like to say it would be great to see sort of, you know, comparison to other safety net hospitals. But it would also be good to see comparisons with, you know, not-for-profit, but, you know, more conceivably for-profit hospitals that have a different funding stream. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes that's critical to see as well. Absolutely. Because it shows you where you could
4: be. Absolutely. Right? Had you had the resources, and then you have to figure out, well, in the absence of resources, are there other things we could be doing? Like, what would create the best practice? This is good dialogue, okay. So thank you for appeasing us, we're only plus one minute.
0: With that we'll close, um, we'll close uh, item C and we'll move into
5: item D, medical staff reports. Uh, Chiefs of staff, dealer's choice. Um, actually, I don't have anything for, uh, for our session uh, for QPSC. I okay. uh, will uh, defer my rest of my report for our open session of the Board of Trustees meeting. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dr. Hearn. Dr. Chu, Dr. Magalong. Uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, we uh,
6: had a Sunny Angel QSB dashboard. Ah, I'm not sure if you have that in your agenda. Page 22 of the packet for the trustees. Yeah, uh, so access. Um, uh, average length of stay uh, is, um, let see. Um, observed is 3.67, expected is 4.55. So we're doing quite well. Uh, in that aspect, and uh, then you look at the re-emission rate. Uh, the uh, target is 11.87, and our current performance uh, is 12.55. So those two numbers seem to be uh, kind of connected in, in a way in my mind. That uh, y- you um, you increase um, the average length of stay, uh, there are chances that they might come back sooner than expected. And so, that's something to keep in mind, like everything in life is gonna strike the right balance. have uh, The, um, you know, good average length of stay and also have good uh, re-admission rate. Uh, and then uh, this quality uh, message for uh, target is 2.11. Uh, current performance is quite good uh, at 1.42. And we have the CIF uh, target 0.95. And uh, current performance is 0.60. And uh, then there's uh, the experience. Uh, the rated hospital 9 or 10, uh, target 68.9. And we said we be the target uh, at 59.3. And that's um, the, uh, the bulk of my uh, report. Any question on that? Now it's 25%. Now 75% of discussion. Now. So <laughs> Dr. Chu, you've never,
0: you've never previously presented a dashboard within the Chief of Staff report. Can you tell us what inspired you to do that this time?
6: Uh, I just want, want to um, show uh, how San Antonio Hospital is doing. I also on uh, it's interesting in what um, to generate a discussion uh, between uh, the length of stay and re-emission rate. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough Try to do both just right.
7: Yeah.
2: And, and semi Diego Hospital, I think, consistently in terms of average length of stay is shorter than even what the national average or something yes. is. Yes. That's consistently and compared to the other hospitals within the system, but also the. So why and uh, you know, at, I think at one of the last meeting we spoke about exactly this, that it was there any correlation between this very short length of stay and the readmission rate and.
6: Yes, yeah. uh, so uh, we have very robust and efficient uh, hospitals uh, system, uh, group, and they are um, efficient in a way that they discharge patients, uh, finding uh, social help, and uh, that's one way of looking at it, so, and you know, the other way you can think of it is, you know, they are kicking people out too fast. Mm-hmm.
7: Uh,
6: so, but uh, I would really like to think of uh, as being efficient. And, uh, but uh, the vent- the admission rate uh, is uh, one one uh, metric uh, one uh, metric we have to look at it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I do note that this SBU report is also embedded within an actual SBU section, which will be item F. So so a little bit of crossover there.
8: Mm-hmm. Any other questions for Dr. Chu? If, if if it'd be okay for Sheila to maybe comment on yeah, that question Sure. So right? detail? Detail? perfect. Yes. Thank you.
0: I'm wondering, is this a good time? Yes, yeah. oh, okay. we'll make it. Um, Sheila, will you introduce yourself on the mic? Yes, yeah. yes.
9: I'm Sheila Lysor, Vice President of Care Management for the system. And um, so, Dr. Chu, we've been meeting with um, the hospitalists at San Leandro to address the issues. And yes, we we have observed that San Leandro consistently has a length of stay, um, the expected length of stay based on acuity and um, <coughs> severity of illness. For the readmitted patients, um, there's a significant gap. So we have identified um, two of the leading diagnoses that are contributing, and we've requested for the hospitalists to go back and readdress their clinical practice to understand what are the, the clinical drivers of why we are so significantly um, lower. So we have we now understand there is a correlation, and it's a valid correlation.
0: What are those two diagnoses, Sheila, CHF? Uh,
9: um, it is um, CHF with uh, renal disease, as well as diabetes with uh, comorbidities. Okay. So they have the, t- uh, the largest gaps.
0: Got
10: it. Can I just add a comment? We have a very active vascular group who work on access for patients with dialysis. Those patients with dialysis have multiple medical problems that increase the CMI index. So sometimes those patients also are admitted to fix their access on a short stay basis. And that also drives the, the length of stay down for these uh, patients. Uh, We are looking at the readmission rate right now that we are capturing. It's not only at the end of the system. So even patient is admitted in any of our our system, so we capture it. That has uh, drifted a little bit the metric up once we start to capture those uh, numbers. But but there is a very active now uh, readmission group where uh, we are looking at readmissions even case by case and also from a systematic approach in terms of access, standardization of uh, medication, medications for the patients once they leave the hospital, and especially social determinants because a lot of those readmissions have social determinants in the Excellent.
0: Trustees, any other comments for Dr. Chu? I'll end with standard work. Um, as everyone knows, members, I'll ask the same question of anyone who gives a report here. Dr. Chu, do you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care at San Landro Hospital?
6: Uh, I am uh, really looking forward to uh, the uh, our, our new ACMO uh, coming on uh, to uh, lead the system, and uh, hopefully, uh the uh, summer uh, leadership over uh, our community hospital, which has been uh, lacking, I would say, uh, over the past uh, few years. And uh, that's something I'm really looking forward to. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yes.
0: Oh. What yes.
10: position is this?
0: The okay. uh, ACMO, the Associate Chief Medical Officer. Reporting to Dr. Che.
10: So currently we have uh, uh, Associate Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Steve Rosenthal, who is a community yeah. physician, and uh, he has been providing as much time as he can, you know, focusing on quality. But uh, moving forward, uh, we are getting an ACMO for Highland, and the ACMO, the new ACMO, and myself, who are going to distribute our duties over the three acute care facilities. So I'll be spending uh, time at San Diego, equal time here, equal time at Amida Hospital with the new ACMO, just to have more close uh, uh, focus on, on operation. Uh, we went through a recruitment process for the ACMO and uh, we're finalizing a contract now with the, with the candidate that was chosen. The, uh, the process involved uh, the input from physician leadership, so we'll, we'll announce
4: more follow. up so is that, that's not a new position is that somebody previously had so a it that is, position? The
10: mini-swift used to be the ACMO for Highland and used to help uh, uh, some with the uh, community hospital. But uh, uh, the uh, previous ACMOs uh, were Dr. Stingent for Alameda Hospital and uh, Dr. Stephen Rosenthal for San Leandro. Sure. So Dr. Stingent uh, resigned, so I am, uh, you know, addressing Alameda Hospital currently and uh, San Leandro with, with Dr. Rosenthal who graciously accepted
0: to stay until we recruit the new ACM. Okay. Understood. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your report, Dr. Chu. Dr. Maglong, Alameda Hospital.
11: Uh, good afternoon. Um, for Alameda Hospital, I want to um, to talk with a critical issue uh, that we are potentially at risk dealing um, with our preliminary and critical care coverage for the hospital which um, potentially on the of feb- uh, June 1st, we, which is about seven days from now, we may not have coverage for pulmonary and critical care, which means that our sickest patients in the hospital, those are in the ICU and those have respiratory problems or are on the ventilator would not have access to this uh, critical uh, service. We also have patients in our hospital at the subacute unit. Uh, we are on ventilators that potentially could uh, be at risk for not getting pulmonary services. The medical staff's concern is basically in the, um, in the process and uh, the lapses in the contracting process that's affecting the continued care of our patients at the hospital. Um, it's you know, an understatement to state that the lack of um, these uh, services, pulmonary and critical care, um, exposes our organization to significant patient safety issues um, we have concerns about how we as an organization have uh, again, allowed ourselves to be in a situation where there's limited um, time and we're, that we, we have limited options because of uh, these uh, contracted services um, I think we missed our opportunities and learning from our past experiences um, over to provide continuity of dialysis services which we had in the past, and more recently in our challenges with the emergency room transition. So the most important critical need that I guess we need to address and have dialogue on is that what are we going to do within the next seven days if we don't have these services? What are we going to do with our patients that are in the hospital? Um, so I think, um, you know, we're, it will involve, you know, the uh, three um, hospitals as to what is our plan moving forward. Trustees, questions?
3: Well, I would, this goes to my question of earlier. I, I was aware that there at the end of the month that the East Bay Group would be, their contract would be expired and at this point As far as I know, there's no agreement, and also, um, as I mentioned earlier, although we were told at our retreat that the surgery would be done by UCSF, I'm not seeing that any UCSF surgeons have been um, through the credentialing process. So my question is, what about these services at Annemarie Hospital to Dr. McMahon's? Are we going to just use local intelligence physicians for these two critical services?
0: Dr. J, can you comment on clinical operations Mm -hmm. at Alameda Hospital?
10: So uh, just uh, related to the pulmonary and critical care uh, hospital, currently uh, Dr. Bobby Deutsch and his partner cover the pulmonary and critical care hospital. Uh, services, um, we have an um, eight bed unit which with an average daily census of four uh, patients over the past year. The clinic is attended uh, mostly by the hospitalist services, plus uh, Dr. Kovidoj and his uh, partner, they cover also pulmonary consults with an average of about two to three consults uh, at most per, uh, per day. He delivers services uh, for directorship of the post-acute and uh, for the respiratory therapy within this hospital. We have a contract with Dr. Bobby Doshi, and uh, uh, we uh, we extended uh, this contract uh, with some adjustment. Uh, Dr. Bobby Doshi uh, has uh, uh, not given a counter offer. However, I had a conversation with him early this morning. And he finally gave a counteroffer that is currently being considered by the contracting and legal team in terms of it is fair market value. But uh, the, uh, the contract uh, uh, negotiation has been going on for probably about six weeks with James uh, Jackson, initially myself. Uh, but there was no counter offer until today, this morning, he, he gave a counter offer. So that's uh, one. The second uh, part is related to the general surgery service. I have met with the uh, current two general surgeons who work at Alameda Hospital and uh, the, our chair of surgery, uh, or interim chair of surgery, Dr. Victorino, also met with them. And uh, we have a transition plan, so they are not leaving in July 1st. We have a transition plan which is being worked together with uh, Dr. Lee and Dr. Salada. And we agreed on this transition plan, as well as themselves they agreed on this transition plan. So they will continue to deliver services in July. They are not, uh, they are not leaving. There is an extension of the contract, and there will be a transition uh, plan concerning General surgery.
0: Dr. Jay, do you have a, do we have an uh, – with regard to the former item, critical care services, Alameda, do we have an option B? Should there not be contract resolution uh, between uh, Dr. Deutsch and Alameda Health System for, um, con- for continuity of ICU services? Yeah, of course, I
10: mean, uh, you know, in any contract negotiation, uh, the contract, you know, is uh, moral and legal agreement of exchange of values. and. Uh, we know what uh, the value of dr. Deutsch is beyond uh, ability to pay for it but you know there is also limited uh, you know uh, ability of us to, to to pay we want to be sustainable and I have to follow some uh, you know legal uh, processes in terms of contract negotiations so that will preclude me from disclosing of course you know, the numbers in this in this uh, open
0: forum uh, and we always have a plan uh, B. The contract negotiation does not work. So, uh, yeah. Has that been articulated to the medical staff at, at, at Alameda Hospital? Because it seems like uh, the chief of staff from Alameda Hospital doesn't have an impression or, or reassurance that there's coverage after June 1. Is
11: that correct? So, I'm not aware of any. So so.
10: I, I uh, was in, uh, uh, in uh, the, the story was evolving. I was attending a meeting past three days, so I'll meet with him and discuss.
3: Well, I appreciate your response, Dr. Jamaldean, but I I must just restate that this is not an isolated incident. This is not the fact that perhaps six weeks ago, as you say, um, you and the contracting team here reached out to Dr. Lowry and Dr. Dr. Deutsch, that I, I have no word whether no that's true, I'll take your work that, that happened, and then Dr. Deutsch did not respond until this morning. I um, my 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 concern though is six weeks ago that happened, and so this morning, a week before the end of the month when the contract's terminated, there may or may not be we have to look at the um counteroffering and make a decision. So that's one concern, but but in the scheme of things, and what, with what happened with the surgeons, and as you you advised us, and as I learned from um, from the testimony of Dr. Lee and Dr. Salata, they were not approached. They were just not not approached, not approached to to continue, and they were just told, okay, well, thank you, um, basically because of a bylaw that we had waived under AHP for some time, now we're, gonna, we're going to um, use that bylaw to terminate a contract. And, and so while I appreciate that they're not terminating on J- July 1st, I still don't think that they were treated fairly and I still can see why physicians at the Hospital would be very concerned about their role, about their ability to continue providing quality care, and about their, their colleagues, whether they can rely on their colleagues in the future. And finally, I would say that the ED situation, the first Time that this came up it was with the emergency department when there was contract negotiations going on. It, it, it appeared that there were contract negotiations going on with different parts of the organization, and that the, the operations, the CAO, at the, C, the administrative officer down the hospital, was not aware of the negotiations that were going on between AHP and Elmwood Health System with regard to the ED, and that caused tremendous confusion, and I think that confusion remains today. So I, I'm not asking you a question. I, I, you don't have to respond to this, but I, I, I'm continuing to discuss this with the chair, and, and it's informing my decision about many things that are happening here in the system, and especially as a representative the health care district. I'm very concerned.
7: I,
2: I, will, I will add to that. This just seems to be a pattern, and we've said again and again, communication is important. So you kind of, I, I want to know what have you learned from this, from whether it's San Leandro Hospital or Alameda <coughs> Hospital, whether it was the radiology, whether it was the ED, whether it's any of that. It just seems to me like when you know that you have docs who worked there for two, two and a half decades and their contracts are going to expire, <coughs> that we wait until the, we are two months away, three months away, and then people, you know, you might come to the same outcome at the end, but through the process, there's we don't show respect for, for our stakeholders in the way that we rush through things, and this is something that you hear from the ground. James Jackson has spoken about it you know about some of the contracts that have gone on where stakeholders on the ground don't know what's happening to have the chief not know next week whether they will have coverage or not that's that's an incredible burden for these guys to be carrying we can do better we have to do better we are trying we are doing our best and we can do better because this is seems to be a recurring thing it's a big concern for us And I think that's something that we really need to address as our fiduciary responsibility for the board. How do we do our contracts? How do we make sure that these things are being done? The outcome is whatever, but the process has to be important too. That our folks here at every hospital, every facility, feel that their voices are being heard, and in a timely way. So that when you come to any kind of resolution or fruition of a contract, People feel, yeah, yeah. We might not. Everybody doesn't get their way. There's like, but we are partners in this process, not on two sides, or not on opposite sides of this negotiation. So.
4: Trustee Tom? Yeah, the only thing I'll say is communication is critical to the success of any of these transitions. Now, you can't over communicate. That's always been my philosophy with this, and, and to the extent that you can have these conversations early on in the process, and really lay a foundation, then I think they'll be more successful. I'm saying that moving forward is something we have to do. And contracts are, unfortunately, uh, just a fact of life. And changes are going to have to happen. But communicating early and communicating often, I think, just helps you with uh, being able to implement those changes in a way that's going to be successful. Um, uh,
3: if I could add, you mentioned yes. 75% um,
4: discussion. is dialogue. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. I would also say that um, when it, it, it's not so much the outcome. To me, it's the outcome perhaps more than other board members because I'm representing Alameda Healthcare District, but and we're talking about Alameda Hospital. It, it, the outcome, I'm, I'm happy to know. That out care if I have an emergency in me, that out care emergency physicians, who see several of the new Orleans, and um, as well as Dr. Hearn, it, that they will be available to provide care at the Hospital. But it was the manner in which it was, in which it was done. If if there had been a strategy, this had been the strategy of AHP or AHS or both at some time, that is fine. But I think that this could, and I think that if that strategy had been communicated to the board and to the MEC in some way or in some way suggesting that we were going to be moving our services in a different manner forward, that would be fine. So again, to communication. As well as with um, with Dr. Lee and Dr. Salata. As you know, they have been there for many years, as we all know, and perhaps they would have changed their direction or uh, made different decisions, but Having this happen in March uh, for a termination in June 1st, it's just not acceptable. So regardless of the outcome, I think that we just need to be aware and be supportive of the medical staff, of the patients who have used our facilities for, for many, many years and who want to know if their physicians are there, and to the board.
10: Uh, I appreciate all your comments. I will uh, try to do better. And I will not stand here and defend myself. Uh, I can tell you that my mission is really to uh, serve the organization and serve the patients of Alameda Health System. And my focus will always be on uh, the patient and the patient's safety. Uh, so I am not Can uh, I defend myself. I always know that I can do better. I, can, I, can, I will always try to do better. And, uh, and again, you know, uh, every day uh, I strive uh, with all my uh, mental uh, faculty and my skills to uh, improve uh, the care and make the care of the patients safer and better for Alameda health system, uh, and my vision is to uh, be part of a system and leading a system where it is the best place to receive care mm-hmm. and to deliver care, and both are, are very, uh, very interrelated. Um, I mean, luckily, uh, during my uh, tenure here, there was not a single day where we were short of delivering service,
0: and hopefully that day may never happen. Thank you, Dr. Yeah, thank you. Um, on this specific issue, uh, we would appreciate a report back uh, by, by June 1 uh, from Dr. Banglong and Dr. J. to Make sure that this specific issue of critical care at Alameda has been addressed. Is that, is that appropriate? Mm-hmm.
11: Dr. Maglong, please continue to report. Um, also, um, there's a, on our MEC, we discussed um, and like to express, again, the concerns of the medical staff regarding our lack of urology coverage the Alameda Hospital which we've had we've raised um, for several months now, you know, in fact for more than a year, and um request uh, also requested for um, you know uh, better GI services because we continue to have quality of patient issues, concerns regarding these two uh, service lines. That's several uh,
0: I'll end with the standard question. Uh, Dr. Maglong. do you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care at Alameda Hospital? Anything to add? Um, I
11: appreciate the discussion that we had earlier. I think um, what I want to focus on is to Um, The physician morale at our hospital obviously is is significantly low, and if we're talking about sustainability for physicians, this is where we need to focus on. Um, The frustration with recurrent issues uh, you previously discussed is, you know, still still there. Um, I am having problems with lack of physician engagement because physicians feel that um, they're you know, they're not being heard and included in the process. So, um, attending the meetings system-wide, asking physicians to contribute and volunteer their time for our committees, these, um, the, the report, the, um, the cs and all that. It's, it's a challenge for me to tap on because they, they just don't want to be involved anymore. And I think that's, that's a problem. We we can do better. Do you have a specific suggestion to how to address this issue? I think communication is one. Having physicians being aware on the ground what the vision and alignment of what future service lines and services are we going to be cutting because of budgetary constraints or service lines that we're aligning across the systems. Um, the, the community physicians that have been traditionally um, providing services at the hospital, would definitely want to know, and, and hopefully align their, their vision and services with what the system wants to. Because I think we're missing that opportunity by tapping onto their experiences and commitment for the community. I mean, I think, um, and you know, it's, it's these constant engagement and communication that we need to do for uh, the physicians to, to continue to um, trust the system and, and where we're going. Okay.
0: We look forward to your continued reports. Uh, that closes item D. Sorry, yeah, item D, uh, medical staff reports. And while we are ahead of time, um, must be the chair. Um, we'll move into item E. Uh, let's, uh, we previously, t- as our entree into this, there's been previous uh, heavy dialogue about the emergency department transitions o- across the system. Um, uh, this c- committee has previously asked for a report from our emergency department leaders. This is that report. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Barry Simon and Dr. Charlotte Wills, who will be uh, leading the uh, the informational. And then, of course, we're going open to this, open this up for dialogue. Uh, Dr. Simon uh, is just had a knee surgery, and he's actually on PTO, and he came in to report to us.
12: Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having us. Uh, Again, uh, you know, to have to introduce me, but I'm Barry Simon. I've been chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine for some time now. Dr. Wills has been the residency director, and she's been gracious and uh, professional enough to take over while I've been off, and she's done an unbelievable job. You guys have a, a report. Um, in the spirit of Taft's earlier comments, uh, there's nothing that's that unusual or, or unique in the report that we actually need to go through it. If you guys have looked at the report and you're comfortable with the information and it's it's very basic, high-level overview of information, we might serve ourselves better by simply having the dialogue that Taft had suggested earlier. I'm happy to answer questions. Charlotte's happy to answer questions. I might provide just a. Um, I don't know if it's patting on the back, um, uh, but I think I'm going to take advantage of having the microphone for a minute to, uh, to pat ourselves on the back. Um, I think when, when a lot of people are in a position like this, they'll use a lot of hyperbole. Oh, what a great job we've done. This has been unbelievable. We're, we should be so proud of ourselves. But I don't think there's enough hyperbole to be said for what we've been able to accomplish at Alameda and San Leandro in the, last, in the last month and a half. Uh, We've done something that most places will take, most organizations take three plus months to do in one institution, and we've done it with two institutions in a much shorter period of time. And I just, my hat goes off, not to myself, because it's been people like Charlotte and Eric Snewing and Karen, that have really stepped up to the plate. Um, Just for example, just this past month, uh, 15 shifts have been covered by Highland Emergency Physicians who have no commitment at all, no prior commitment at all at the Alameda or San Leandro. Those shifts might have gone uncovered, or, or AHP or AHS would have had to pay literally a fortune to staff those shifts if the Highland docs hadn't stepped up to the plate. So I think, you know, we almost need a round of applause for the other emergency physicians at Highland Hospital and for Oak Care, because Oak Care has done an unbelievable job of getting things up and running in just the last five or six weeks. So thank you very much to Oak Care. And you, you will not believe, Barry, can you uh, put the micro me? You will not believe the work that Charlotte's done over the last month since I've been off. Um, literally, I mean, she, if she was experiencing what I was experiencing, she hasn't been sleeping for the last four weeks trying to make sure that this has been successful. So, uh, again, you know, the risk of using too much hyperbole, you know, my, my hat goes off to her and to the rest of the lunch. department. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. And just, and just so you know, um, uh, again, a lot has happened. There have been a lot of bumps in the road. We have a lot of challenges ahead of us. We have not solved all the problems. We still have many challenges ahead of us. But we've made unbelievable progress. We've already hired four or five full-time, really, really good people who are going to incredibly improve the quality of care provided at these three hospitals. And not only the quality of care at those hospitals, but the collaboration with Highland and other care physicians as a result of this process is going to dramatically improve the quality of care. Transferring patients back and forth, having access to services like urology and, and neurology and cardiology and other orthopedics that are otherwise in short supply at some of these facilities has been made much better and much more facile by the collaboration that we've been able to um, uh, create through the, through this process. Dr. Magalong, Dr. Chu have been unbelievably helpful. Um, Dr. Chu was rescuing us tonight. As a matter of fact, we had an open night shift. And he so graciously stepped up to take that night shift. And again, if it wasn't for people like him um, and the others I've mentioned, that this would not have been successful. So I know I talked fast. I've been blabbering on for a, a few minutes here. I'm sure, if you want to add anything about what's been happening or where we need to go. I've okay. got a couple. There are a couple asks that we're going to have before we're done, yeah. uh, but go ahead.
0: Let, actually, let me take a pause right here and ask the trustees. So slide two, slide three, slide four. Dave, can you advance that? Uh, it, uh, if, you, if you'll advance, guys, one slide. I, I'm asking here the trustees, it looks like your slide two, three, and four are here for a narrative function on background, and I want to take a moment and ask the trustees whether they need narrative walkthrough on this, or just reading the slides was adequate for you. Um,
12: I want a definition of APP.
0: APP definition? It's
12: a, um, like a mid-level practitioner, they're physician's assistants and nurse practitioner Advanced
0: practice provider. Uh, okay. So are you guys good on, uh, on slides 2, 3, and 4?
4: Um, I guess the only question I, I have and it was in the narrative uh, about the number of physicians who did not want to join uh, because they felt uh, there was such uncertainty. And uh, can you just elaborate a little more on that? I, I was a little surprised that the physicians well, you know, part, of it, part of it's
12: uncertainty, but part of it was out of everybody's control. The CEP had the contract. Uh, Well, it was CEP and then Sound, but many of the providers that continued to work there, uh, even after Sound took over, were CEP physicians. And CEP physicians are career physicians. They have full benefits, retirement packages. Um, And if they left CEP to stay at these hospitals, they would have lost those benefits. So a lot of the physicians didn't have a choice. If they wanted to maintain their benefits, they had to stay with CEP and work at other hospitals. Uh, despite that, many of the CEP physicians who are members of the various communities wanted to stay part of those hospitals. So again, Dr. Chu is a good example. He's a CEP physician, but he you know, has a lot of pride and loyalty at San Leandro. So he's continued to step up the plate and work shifts at San Leandro Hospital. And there are many like that at Alameda Hospital as well. Dr. Otani, Dr. Kammerer, and others like them are CEP physicians who have positions elsewhere. But they continue to pick up positions at, at Alameda Hospital because of the loyalty they feel to community and to the hospital itself. The um, APPs also were part of other groups, other practices. I, I think there was a little bit more unhappiness there and uncertainty that drove some of those APPs away. But we still kept, I think it was five, five, of, the AP, five of the APPs decided to stay with us. And we've had a fair degree of success of hiring more APPs uh, going forward.
4: So uh, was it that we weren't able to provide comparable benefits coming over, or uh, no benefits at all?
12: Maybe Dr. Chu, can you speak to that, the why the CEP physicians decided to stay CEP? So you're talking about physician
6: now, or are you talking about the events provider? No, physicians. Physician. Uh, CEP uh, has uh, certain benefit uh, as going Staying with them, and they have uh, opportunity for growth, and there is a lot of uh, a lot more of uh, flexibility as far as working at different sites other than just one site. Right. And um, services, and beside, if you want to be in the leadership position, you uh, have to be staying with the CEP. So. A lot of uh, our, our physicians uh, at San Diego Hospital, they have offered other leadership positions within CEP. Uh, Dr. Chen, Dr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calderon, and Dr. Alicia Kurtz. and So that took away a lot of our, our providers uh, from CEP. And um, besides the uncertainty uh, there, there's a big demand for emergency physicians uh, now and uh, if you have any kind of uncertainty, uh, say three months down the line, you kind of want to uh, establish some place you know for certain is going to be there for you now next few years. So I think that's the, the reason why a lot of uh, position left.
12: Yeah, they develop seniority within CEP and their seniority brings to them benefits that they would lose regardless of the benefit package that we would be, we would, um, be able to provide, um, there's no way we could make up for years and years and years of seniority mm-hmm. with CEP.
4: Can I just follow up on one question with recruitment? How is the recruitment going for finding full-time physicians?
12: Well, better than we had thought. When we took over, we told AHP and HS it was going to take us a year and a half to make a significant inroad. Uh, and that's because we took this over uh, around March 1st. And most grads will get jobs in November of the previous year. So we were five or six months behind. We lost that recruiting year. Mm -hmm. So we felt that we wouldn't be able to significantly recruit until November of 2018. Uh, And we will. We'll do a much better job in November of 2018 when we can hire people for the following summer. Mm -hmm. Despite that, we've been able to recruit about five or six full-time physicians who are absolutely superb. We're very excited to have them. The hospitals are going to be very happy with them. So we're actually ahead of our plan in terms of recruiting full-time docs. That's great.
13: I would just add to that, I'm putting on my residency director hat here. Um, We have a long and storied tradition of training outstanding physicians who then go and work for top universities and Kaiser. If you go into the Kaiser Oakland DD, um, probably about two-thirds of their providers are Highland trained. And we want to bring that back to this organization. We here at Highland are proudly inbred. I'm a grad of this program um, and have never left and never planned to leave. Um, And so we really want to inculcate this same sort of loyalty and commitment to the community and the organization um, now these other two hospitals. And we have uh, at least four, possibly five, recent grads who are going to be staying on in some capacity. And so we really hope this opens up um, local practice opportunities in addition to the Kaiser organization. And I think we have the real potential to do that. Your swing shift at Alameda Hospital yesterday was covered by one of our chief residents. Uh, your day shift at San Leandro was one of our recent grads, um, and your current swing shift provider is my colleague and associate program director, Dave Duong. So, um, you know, these are these are people that are Highland trained, Alameda Health System trained, and we hope to carry that off through because you have a farm team here.
10: That's great. Just, uh, Dr. Jack. Yeah, I, I would just ask uh, maybe ch- uh, Dr. Wills just to uh, like talk briefly about what you have been intro- what your team has been introducing in terms of uh, procedures and integration of care in San Leandro Alameda Hospital just as we are doing this process, because I know some of the Highland physicians have been going there and making changes, just that will be of value for the board to learn about.
13: Yeah, I think um, probably the most um, obvious example we can point point to is the use of of point-of-care bedside ultrasound, um, which is really a skill set that when I started residency here at Highland in 1997, um, this was one of the only programs in the country that had an ultrasound program, and it's now standard of care. It's what's in the core content of emergency medicine and the expectation of every new grad coming out of a program is that you know how to do that. Um, So all the younger grads are, are doing that, and it really can expedite your of the patient, um, it reduces the radiation exposure. It's this great skill set to have uh, that's not hugely widely disseminated within our specialty, depending on when you finish residency. Um, but now we're seeing widespread use of that, and we hope to, you know, use our um, leverage our skills as, as an educational program, too, to really go and have all the providers in these emergency departments up to the same skill level with bedside ultrasound. Um, How does this make a difference in the patient's care? So um, I was one of the night shift docs over the weekend at Alameda, and I had a gentleman come in with a six millimeter kidney stone previously diagnosed. Um, He was having ongoing pain. I saved him the CT scan by doing bedside ultrasound, seeing that he now had increased swelling in that kidney, got on the phone with my colleague here at Highland, and by the end of my shift, he was in the OR here getting his kidney stented. That's what we mean by raising the level of you know, skill set available and also the integration of care and leveraging all the resources that the hospital system has as a whole. Does that answer your question? I mean, I could yeah, point to a, no- a number of other um, skills, yeah. et
0: cetera. So, so to that, can we talk about metrics? When, when we look at this a year da- down the road, what are the metrics for success? How, how, how do you define that this was a good decision for the system to go with OakCare? Um, what, what, what metrics do we have on board to, that, y- that you'll be following and reporting to this committee and, and the full board at large?
12: Well, actually, I was going to go to my asks. Um, I had three asks. And the first ask is to not talk much about metrics yet. It's, a little, it's unfair. Mm-hmm. We basically have a new team every day, mm-hmm. and our coaches haven't come on board yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do have a medical director at Andrew, who just started a little bit ago. We have a medical director who won't start at Alameda until July. So we don't have our on-site leaders really in place hardly at all yet. And there's basically a new team every day of locums come from other states. We guess we have some shifts that are being filled with kind of farm bred people, and we can expect more from those people. But please don't keep asking us about metrics, because we have very little control today over, over what we can hope for. But down the road, you know, we want metrics. We want to be in the top percentiles in you know, patient satisfaction, time to provider. Uh, time to discharge, time to admit. We want to decrease the return admits. We want to decrease the bounce backs to the ED. These are all parameters that we expect to see and improve significantly over the next 12 to 18 months. And that leads to my second ask. My second ask is, I know that EPIC is coming down the road in a year and a half. But in order for us to get those metrics, we need data. And if we don't have data, we can't provide accurate metrics. We can't rely on the metrics we're getting because we just don't trust them. So my first ask is be patient. My se- second ask is, is to please um, get us some data if you possibly can. And the third one, one of our ongoing challenges of getting people on board is to help orient them and in-service them. Well right now, we have nobody to in-service them with um, uh, med tech. MedTech is the uh, EHR that's being used at Alameda and at San Leandro, and there is no IT support force. We're basically having to hire residents and other doctors to in-service our new providers because otherwise they don't know what to expect when they start working with these facilities. We need help with the onboarding process. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Charlie.
13: Yeah, it's um, so the the IT support is limited, and that actually gets back to um, it gets back to the metrics question too. So there's a scorecard that comes out. It, it, it's challenging because each three of the institutions they have um, different metrics that they've been looking at, having had a chance to see this in, in the past month or so. So we have our own dashboard that we follow here at Highland. Um, that is a lot of the things Barry mentioned there. Alameda Hospital had its own metrics that I was able to see at the MedExec committee uh, last week. And interestingly, they're, they're different numbers, and some of the numbers are, at, are are not what emergency departments are are measuring and using, so they're separate from what we're following here at Alameda. And then San Leandro has something called a scorecard that comes out every day, but when we drill down on some of those numbers, because they seem to be variable and inconsistent, a lot of it is actually, it's not coming from um, a data extraction from an EMR, because there is no EMR there. Um, it's, it's hand-derived data, so whereas I think you can follow the trends, um, it's, it's hard to actually trust the numbers too much. Plus, again, some, a lot of what they're measuring is different. So, we need one standardized scorecard or metric or dashboard, whatever you want to call it, across all three institutions so we can see and, and leverage kind of what's working at each, each different emergency department. Um, an example I'll give you that's something that San Leandro does amazingly well are these things called um, ambulance uh, patient offload times uh, that are measured across the county. They are aces for the volume of ambulances that they, ambulance traffic that they receive. They're very, very, very good at it. And here at Highland, we are the last in the county. So we need to see what are they doing that we could go and leverage. Um, and similarly, our door-to-doctor times here are very, very good. We've gotten quite good with that. So you know, can we go and leverage that in another emergency department to go and improve those numbers? And, but just having the standardized metrics there, um, again, EPIC will solve a lot of this. Uh, but in the meantime, to really get the data that I think all of you are seeking, uh, we do need that support. The onboarding uh, orientation piece, again, it's separate. at it, The two different hospitals, um, it's, it's important not to conflate the two different sites because they're so very, very different. Um, there's um, limited tech support at Alameda Hospital, and the person who does the Meditech training there is currently out on medical leave. So getting people onboarded and trained in the EMR usage there Um, is it's it's hard, and it's been taxing on their staff because there's been a huge tidal wave of of new providers, myself included, coming through that they then have to teach, whether it's the Meditech training or it's the stroke-specific training. So with Dr. Deuteray, she has to sit down with each and every one of us to make sure we know what to do with a hot stroke that comes through the door because they're a stroke receiving center. Um, So the orientation piece is, it's not standardized, and we're working to actually generate a checklist and standardize work with that. But again, the IT support is is just so so very thin, and I don't think it's anybody's fault per se. And everybody has been incredibly gracious and patient with the whole credentialing onboarding process. But that is somewhere where just you know there's not enough manpower um, to get done what we want to do um, effectively.
0: Christie Jensen.
3: Um, yes, thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, thank you, Dr. Around. Simon
3: and Dr. Rose. And um, I, I, as I said earlier, we had a good discussion uh, about from the medical um, executive Committee reports. I do think that care was a great choice. It was, it, was, it was the right choice, and I'm so happy to hear that it's going well despite all the challenges, despite exceedingly short timelines, turmoil, and uncertainty. And so um, given that that we have resolved several things, but not everything, as you point out, the IT issue and some of the issues we see on um, responsibilities where, where um, the hospital physicians, are they employed? Are they, um, you know, are we, and are we still going to pay? HS still going to pay for um, locums for until next year. Those are things that are concerned. concern, but my question now is for um, for Luis and or for um, Gasan, why didn't we open negotiations with Ocare in 2017, and why did we go? To, why is all this turmoil having to happen right now? And I'm just curious how the contracting um, process worked and how it could work better, and if there's any reason for this because it just doesn't seem to your point to
10: Ghassan to support quality patient care. Yes, so, uh, I mean, it uh, it actually we opened the negotiation initially with the Ocare group. Uh, You know, again, we had some communication issues, and uh, we had some uh, over promises from sound in the initial phase of the the communication. Uh, But then uh, in the negotiation process, uh, you know, uh, it's it just it revealed itself that they were not, uh, you know, uh, going to deliver what, what they promised initially. And uh, you know, my uh, my all for for the O okay Care group in the ED has always and respect has always been there. And I have always told everybody that uh, we have the best uh, you know ED care in the country. Uh, so, uh, so that's that's uh, the, if you will, the lessons we have learned from from that from that uh, original uh, aspect. The other thing is that there was also some concern about the model of care uh, in terms of uh, being the residency uh, program here and how we are going to have the same model in Alameda Hospital in San Leandro. So after further discussion and, uh, uh, you know, and communication, we were able to resolve that issue. Uh, there was also concerns about uh, the electronic health records and uh, the different models of care. Uh, so uh, yes, we have learned lessons about better communication in the future.
6: Dr. Chu, Yeah, uh, one of my comments, just learning from uh, this lesson, is that um, when uh, we try to negotiate a contract with a new medical group, it's better to start early to give us plenty of time. Uh, I think uh, the negotiation with CEP uh, was started two months before, uh, uh, or still about two months or about before, two or three months before the contract's supposed to end. And uh, that didn't give you uh, much time to go through a transition. And I think that's part of the issue here, not enough time, to select the proper um, group or alternative and to plan for a transition. Have we had two or three more months into this process, I think we'll be looking at this, much less chaotic uh, picture uh, right now.
10: You, again, it is a valid point. Uh, when I started my job, we had more than 300 contract, different contracts from various physician groups and physician individuals. Uh, many of them were on holdover, and uh, you know, uh, we first had to really focus on the uh, negotiation with the O-Care Medical Group. Uh, That took a lot of time and uh, retreats in order to define the services. Uh, So uh, that's again, you know, uh, an important valid point. I uh, had met with the CP president to work in terms of the transition process, but unfortunately, uh, that did not work out. So uh, we are again uh, now gaining grounds. We probably have about a hundred. Uh, uh 110 uh, contracts and uh, probably less than 30 i would say are on hold so we are we are uh, you know we have a better process and we'll be more proactive moving forward we have a dashboard that we look at and uh, we meet every week and we try to have a much better and as I said, in terms of the communication, I will be spending time at San Leandro and Alameda Hospital, and I will have forum of discussion with, uh, with the physicians moving forward that are that will be minuted and with an attendance sheet. Thank, Thank, you. Thank
3: you, Dr. J. I Everyone, one um, ask or, or additional suggestion for this committee, perhaps. Would it be appropriate or um, more effective? It, what I would like to have would be a list, as you say, we have we have contracts with a number of individual as well as um, group practice. And that's, I mean, a long list is fine, but perhaps instead of that, we could just have a, a quarterly or um, bi yearly list of the contracts that are going to be up in the next six months.
10: I would leave it to our legal counsel. I don't know from a legal point. I would be happy to do it if it is uh, appropriate. Yeah.
0: And then the question is: Is that this, is that is this the right place for that discussion? Uh, because we have an auditing committee, uh, we have uh, an HR committee, uh, and a compliance committee. So I, I think that is worth having a dialogue with council. Uh, it, 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 it's a fair question.
3: Well, the point being that we've spent a lot of time in the past three meetings of this committee discussing contracts, and it seems to be an issue that comes up from our NCCs quite often. So. Whether or not it's an actual quality or um, physician quality or provider issue, that's...
0: it's a good question. I think the board, the full board should probably have that yes. dialogue. Um, trustees, any further questions? With that, I'll end with my standard word question to the both of you. Uh, do either of you have any further comments, concerns, or suggestions that would help us in our mission to pursue the safest and highest quality care in our emergency departments in Alameda Health System?
12: Yeah, I don't think I have anything additional to add.
13: Um, yeah, I think I just echo what Barry asked for before, which is your, your patience. What we able, what were able to accomplish, by the end of May, we will have staffed 364 physician shifts at three different emergency departments. That's a metric. That's a metric. That's the only metric I can give you right now. Um, and, and that's, you know, we, you know, getting back to the contracts that we, we are, have always been an, an academic emergency physician group, you know, our, our mission is patient care and training emergency physicians, that's what we've done, that's what we know how to do really well, I think. Um, so this is, this is uncharted territory for us, and all I can say is that I've been inspired by my colleagues this past um, month being very stud double um, with their generosity, um, how, much, how much hard work they put in, their willingness to do something that is, is very different from, from what they usually do. And, and so I just, you know, I hope that we can build in these other two departments um, with both people that are staying on for, for, to, to work there. Um, as well as new people that will recruit in the same sort of of loyal, committed um, staff uh, that are dedicated to good patient care that we have uh, here in the department that I've always belonged to. I think that would be my, my final comment.
6: Thank you, Dr. Chu. Yeah, I just want to add a comment. Uh, the local uh, physician, there's some good one and some ones and there's some so-so ones. And but uh, the okay physician who came over, there's just such a treat. The uh, nursing physician, the nursing staff, ancillary staff, and the uh, other. Uh, medieval Provider, they all, love the, 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 the satisfaction, provider. are you saying, Dr. Chu?
13: <laughs> yes. The There's some metric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there
11: are more and metrics than quality metrics. And I would add with the same sentiment that, you know, we're, we're happy with the engagement that we've had with Barry and Sharma in terms of uh, addressing the needs from the clinicians, the physicians, and the nurses at the emergency department. So, thank you,
0: Dr. Mengong. Thank you. With right, well, that, we'll close out Report Item, item. E. Thank you e. for you your time. Um, we'll move into item F, an SBU metric Report uh, on the Acute Strategic Business Unit. Um, is this Luis or John, or
14: both? I'll start. Uh, welcome, John. Thanks. I'm here to uh, provide the, your acute care SBU dashboard for our three hospitals. As you can see, I'm, I, I'm missing my partner in crime, James Jackson. I'm, I'm, I'm still in mourning but uh, I will try to do my, my best James Jackson impersonation. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the 25, 75 percent rule and the fact that uh, Dr. Chu and Sheila all practically covered a good portion of the acute SB right. dashboard, uh, I'll, I'll keep uh, the presentation short to this slide and perhaps a slide on uh, performance improvement activity around readmissions. So in this slide, the, the three pillars that are Im- important to, to bring forth are the access quality and experience, how uh, the sustainability for the finance committee, and the, uh, over the, the, the general board and uh, oversight. So in access, as you've heard, uh, you heard a little bit about San Leandro, but overall, with all three combined, our uh, observed to expected is at 5.06 for this uh, last uh, quarter, where expected should be 4.5. So we, we are still having a ways to go. And I think there's three drivers to this, right? And, and I think we've talked about some of them before. Placement issues, um, definitely readmissions, and, of course, CMI. So what I would like to point out with CMI is down in our watch metric section. John, Sorry. can you remind the
0: board what case, mis- yes. ma- ma- case mix index means?
14: Yeah, basically, in layman's terms, it's um, how difficult your patient population is, the, the complexity. So our complexity has risen, and we've seen that in, uh, I think, all three sites, at Highland especially. Um, our results overall for all three hospitals, about 1.59 uh, for this quarter, 1.55 year-to-date. Either way, we're, uh, we're definitely above our uh, baseline for FI-17. Mm-hmm. Would you mind In advancing two slides? You have a great case mix index sure. slide. There we go. No problem. Mm-hmm. So um, hard to read. probably the next time we do this, we'll, we'll kind of increase where that line is so you can actually see. Uh, more of the uh, increases and decreases. But system-wide, from left to right, you can see we've been steadily increasing over the, uh, over the months from 17 to 18. Uh, Alameda has sustained a, a small drop in the, in the last uh, month present there. San Leandro is continuously increasing, and so is Highland. John, the data
0: suggests that we are uh, touching, if not below, the national median, do you believe that about our hospitals and our system, that our CMI is below national medium?
14: Yeah, from what I've heard and from uh, my peers at SFGH, who I kind of do a, a like-like comparison, yeah. uh, I'm very hopeful that with the EPIC install we'll see uh, documentation improvements right. which will drive the CMI score even higher. Right. Would you agree?
0: Uh, I would agree. So to the board, remember case mix index, index is an index on which we can judge uh, estimated length of stay, compensation, mm-hmm. and the like. And, and, and the premise here is that we're, we're probably undercoding, at, at, uh, undervaluing our current case mix index, which has implications for all these things. So th- it's it's sort of a beautiful nerd curve that it's going up and, and that, we're, that, we'll, that we will hopefully cross national, uh, which I think many of the practitioners here believe that we are
5: higher than national on a case mix index. Right. Dr. Hearn, would you agree? Absolutely. It's it's remarkable how sick our patients are um, when they get admitted. Okay. So if there's uh, no further
14: questions on access, I'll jump to the meat of the presentation. and That's the quality uh, component of our pillars. Um, So for post-op DVT-PE. Fantastic uh, actually results for this last quarter and year to date compared to where we were benchmarked in FY17 and our target for FY18. So, kudos to uh, all three teams at our hospitals uh, for uh, such really remarkable results. You've heard a little bit about the 30 day readmits. Uh, you can see uh, year to date we're at 11.96. Our target was 11.53, but we've been trending the wrong way. We're going up a little bit. and breakdown by hospital interestingly enough San Leandro and Alameda um, are in the red Highland's actually in the green I found uh, I would have expected similar at Highland um, but I think it's because of all the good work case management and the teams that are doing that have started at Highland are now going through with uh, Sheila leading uh, our system uh, case management approach to readmissions and I have a slide to talk about some of the tactics that we're doing to drive down those uh, readmissions. Um, Falls per 1,000 patient days. Um, We're trending in the right direction. We're at 2.52 this quarter. We want to get down to our 2.1 target, and I believe uh, Dr. Hussein presented a great overview of the strategies we're doing so, and I will tell you this month so far looks good. Keep your fingers crossed. I'm hoping to see green uh, at our next quarter. our cauties um, are, are, are definitely in the red, uh, and... Will you remind our trustees what a CAUTI is? I'll, 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 I'll have to them and explain it better
5: than I can. Infection. Okay.
14: Right. Thank you, Dr. Arthur. Right. We mm-hmm. think perhaps that's related to um, how long our patients, some of our patients, are staying in the hospital, as well as how long they're having catheters still associated uh, needing uh, replacement. So we're going to actually present on the next quarter uh, a slide on the performance improvement activities around that. Um, Our C. diff, uh, as you know, doing very well. And at all three hospitals, our HCAP scores for uh, Rate the Hospital 9 or 10, um, this last quarter have been above target. And we hope to uh, end the year in the green for a year to date as well. So the slides that follow. Our detail slides, for everything we've covered already, we talked about case mix index. Um, we, we talked about 30-day admits. If you have questions on any of this, uh, feel free. But I want to jump to um, the performance improvement slide. This one. So I was asked each each quarter, uh, every time we present, um, give us a PI initiative. What are we working on? Well, I think it makes sense to focus on those that were in the red, right? So for readmission rates, you heard a little bit from Sheila of what uh, good work they're doing across the system. We have a multi-modality team uh, that had their last meeting at Highland. And as you can see, it's uh, led by Dr. David Moskowitz. Uh, He covered uh, about four tactics uh, that they're aggressively working to reduce readmissions. And the focus of the first two tactics is congestive heart failure, CHF. Dr. Moskowitz informs me that it's probably close to 30% of our readmissions. So, the tactics that we're describing in the last meeting is to improve the daily weight I's and O's, and, and how that helps is obviously you have congestive heart failure to uh, come in with fluids. So, our great doctors here uh, titrate and try to get rid of those fluids. Uh, out of the system, but if they're not consistently measuring, that patient may be discharged still with some fluid overload, and guess what? They come back. Or if, they're, if it's the opposite, they could have kidney issues, and, and they come back. So uh, that's, the, that's one of the tactics uh, we're looking for consistent improvement in documentation. And then tactic two is diuresis standard practice. Just currently, that it's been described as no standard practice around switch to uh, oral diuresis at discharge. This is to keep those same patients, right, so their their fluids remain low. Uh, We believe that, or Dr. Moskowitz and his team believe, that uh, focusing on those two will help drive down uh, the readmissions of our CHF patients. Tactic three, uh, care management identification of medical home and discharge scheduling for follow-up appointments. It's horrible when a patient leaves and they get lost in the system, and guess what, they come back into our EDs. Um, Improvements uh, are being made at Highland, but similar strategies need to be implemented at San Leandro and Alameda. Uh, The action is to educate and train care management staff and to continue to audit that compliance. So we'll be sharing those graphs with you uh, in future QPSC meetings. And finally, the tactic 4 that was described was to place post-discharge follow-up orders within 24 hours of admission. Uh, That's the important piece. Not uh, not close to discharge, yeah. so there's a separate work group to examine potential workflows for high-risk patients, and that's where you, I think you've heard about the lace scores mm-hmm. for assessment for readmissions. Mm-hmm. So that's what uh, our our focus on PI initiatives are for for this month, and that ends my presentation. by 25 percent, <laughs> I'm opening it up for the 75 percent. Yes, sir. Thank you. Sure, trustees.
2: This is really helpful to know that there are, and uh, right now um, it's happening at the core but also to be done. Uh, <coughs> yes, yes, yeah, that's, that's a system-wide that work group
14: that Sheila and Dr. Moskowitz have yeah. launched, I, I think, very successfully.
2: I know that the discharge plan starting pretty much as soon as they're admitted has been something that's been spoken for a long time. It's that's right. The consistency.
0: John, in your assessment, what are are we doing right in the acute SBU?
14: Um, Well, I think uh, it's going down down through the pillars. um, Definitely, we're making, I think we're very happy with some of the uh, metrics that we're seeing around quality, as I just mentioned. Um, We're being very efficient uh, if you look at FTE per adjusted occupied day. Um, And I think the most important fact that we're, we're building standard work. Now we have to do that, especially ahead of Epic. Yeah, we don't want Epic to drive standard work. We need to drive standard work before the IT system. And I'm really seeing a huge push on that in our acute SBUs. So that to soften
0: up for what are we not doing right on the acute SBU? <laughs>
14: Well, uh, I'll stay away from contracting and talk about oh <laughs> God, <Jesus>. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about throughput. Okay, okay. throughput. And and this is where I really am hopeful with the um, with our Oak Care providers in each of the ED, EDs is really take advantage of beds and uh, ability to transfer patients, not only from Highland uh, where we have a number of orders in our EDs to the community hospitals, but the other way around, where we're going from a lower to a higher. Um, and and I, I think we're starting to see that now. I, uh, but we need to see more of it. Okay. I'd say that's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And of course, to continue the drive to improvement of early discharges, so we have to definitely improve our average length of stay and get those placement patients who don't need to be here out of beds, um, to improve a, what, the metrics that we're seeing in the ED in terms of how long a patient's waiting for boarding. I'll stop there.
0: I think I think that's good. comments. Oh, okay. Trustees or, or anyone, Luis uh, and uh, Dr. McGraw.
11: Hi, uh, John. I would question with regards to the um, PI initiative for readmission rate. When do you expect um, this to be um, initiated with the other two? Community hospitals. What's the timeline?
14: You know, for timelines, I defer to Sheila. She's still in the uh, in the room. Yeah. Thanks, partner. I guess I don't need to reintroduce myself. <laughs> um,
9: okay, so Dr. Magalang, for Alameda, we actually have your action plan. And we have started some of the initiatives. Um, So what we're uh, attempting to do is um, start with the uh, post-discharge appointments um, that will be uh, in place. And we will continue to refer patients to the uh, community paramedic program. And we have staff to assure that that um, will continue to uh, work. And of course, we have uh, an incredible initiative around the LACE assessment. So incorporating the high-risk patients um, in the daily rounding with with the hospital so we can identify high risk patients prior to discharge to avoid readmission.
11: So this is uh, started now, or is it? Yes, not, okay. that is
9: correct. So Carol, who is your manager? There is uh, moving forward with with the initiatives.
11: Is now, this a surprise to you, Dr. Mangal? <laughs> that you know
0: about this? Uh, no, I don't know anything about this. Okay.
11: Okay.
0: So opportunity for communication sounds like a great plan. Often. Yes, it's opportunity to work together for communication.
11: And, then, and I think one um, uh, that initiative that I want to bring up to the committee is medication reconciliation mm-hmm. I think there's mm-hmm. lots of opportunities that we can you know we can look at with mm-hmm. this particular um, uh, issue you know because there's plenty of potential um, errors and possibly efficiencies in discharging patients uh, appropriately when we have the right information at the onset. Thank you. good project. Okay.
0: Mr. Fonseca, sir, any comments? Uh,
8: The the only thing I would, uh, I think I'll just, uh, John did a good job presenting presenting for the SBU, uh, the entire SBU overall. What I will say is, is you know, to Dr. Maglons' point, I just want to make sure that, you know, there is some work happening around net reconciliation. It is one of the CS4E initiatives that we're, we're looking at, and we have a multidisciplinary team evaluating that. So there's a tremendous amount of work that needs to happen around that. Uh, it's a very complex issue, and, and it involves many different, you know, uh, individuals in the care delivery team. But but we're making progress in that regard, uh, and we're going to continue. That's the effort, uh, you know, as part of, uh, you know, all the, all the metrics that we have here and some of the work that we're doing around quality. Um, our CS4E initiatives are starting to materialize. We're going to start seeing some of these go live in the next several weeks at all sites. Um, you know, focusing on stroke, focusing on sepsis, focusing on on um, order sets, uh, met recon. So, so there's a lot of these things that are happening, and and that's you know again that's goes to the light of really creating that standard work across all of our sites and ensuring that we're we're following. Evidence-based practices across all of our facilities, and that's really important. And so, Absolutely. so that's something that we're, we're we're getting better at, and and uh, has been some heavy lifting. But you know, certainly we've we've gotten there, and we're going to continue to fine-tune that process. I also want to just make a comment that uh, you know across the system, we've done a, a really good job. There's been a new focus on patient falls, and over the last several months. I have to say that uh, you know, under the leadership of Dr. Hussain and, and, and quality team and many others that have been involved and all of our clinicians on the, on the EpiBet site, they've done a phenomenal job and I think our metrics are reflecting that. And you know, I, I was rounding at Alameda Hospital and uh, we recently gave uh, an award to one of our units on the, the, the third floor of Three West and they had a big sign that said Best in the West. And uh, they really did a good job. They went over 60 days without a fall, uh, and it's just been phenomenal. So, absolutely. Same thing at same thing at San Leandro. Uh, you know, the, the facility there also went uh, several months without a fall, and we've seen a significant reduction in our post-acute world. So, again, that renewed focus and the work that's happening around falls is is phenomenal, and so we're doing really well in in that creating that standard work, having those practices across all of our sites. And that's what I think is what we need to continue to do. So what can we do better is really uh, you know, standardise those practices, make sure that we're, you know, looking at, you know, those learning from those experiences across all of our different sites and continuing to push forward. Because uh, at the end of the day that's what that's what we're all here for and it's 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 you know, providing high quality care uh, to all of our all of our patients and, and we take a great deal of pride in that, so Anyway, you know, so good work happening, a lot more work to be done. Absolutely. Uh, but again, all of this aligns with our day-to-day activities and also positions us and prepares us for the work that needs to happen as we look at uh, launching our new EHR.
0: Mm-hmm.
8: Louise, can you make any comments
0: on strains on the leadership team being a team member down? Um,
8: you know, it, it's. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's been a strain. Uh, you know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, James Jackson uh, certainly moved on. Uh, as I've met with all the staff, I've been spending quite a bit of time at uh, both Alameda and San Leandro, uh, which I truly enjoy. Um, you know, I, I keep telling the staff, it, it's, you know, the fact that I wasn't here regularly didn't mean that I wasn't connected or knew what was happening. Uh, rest assured, I knew exactly everything that was happening. But now, you know, being present and, and really spending time with the staff, and and uh, participating in some of the committee meetings, you know, the MEC, and having several discussions with some of the providers, and you know, rounding on all the units. Uh, again, just it's a it's a wonderful opportunity uh, for me. It's something that I have always done, but equally respected the site leaders that we have in place. And uh, so for, for me, I mean, at this point, I, I wouldn't consider it a strain. I would just say it's 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 been a, a a welcomed opportunity for me to to you know get closer to to the team out there and. And uh, continue to drive some of the great work that was ongoing, and uh, see it to completion, and continue to move forward.
2: And from the uh, from the teams at these hospitals, that it's like having a principal in a school, right? So when you're uh, using Michelle's, I'm so used to using the public education example now that Michelle uh, has, uh, you know, ingrained into us. So, each CAO is, is that. So for you all, as much as um, Mr. Fonseca is there, how do you make sure that the kind of proximity that James provided, that he was there on site, that even when you're not there on site, that they have access to you and some of that. I know that you were working on a transition uh, uh, plan that um, that the teams there are as, involved in making sure that those lines are open at all times
8: certainly they're uh, and they're certainly open i know that i've had you know several discussions and they the, the communication lines are open uh you know i'm um, accessible at, you know at all times and and uh, they'll continue to be that way excellent mm-hmm. thank you for that report
0: um with that we'll close out item f We'll move into item G, we're going to revisit the policy approval process and the peer review uh, redesign update. Uh, Dr. J is, uh, yes, uh, Trustee's slide 40, uh, sorry, uh, page 47, 49 in your book. Or or it'll be on the screen as well. Yes.
10: Rona, you're
2: going to help me with the pointer? If you want me to, I can. Or I can give you the pointer. Okay. Whatever makes you happy.
0: About ten minutes, doctor. You
10: know, just a few minutes just to give the board, since we were asked about where we are in this journey about the peer review redesign. Uh, This is, uh, you know, our current state, and uh, you know everybody has been seeing our current state uh, in terms of its high variability across the system. Uh, the triggers and referrals, uh, also their variability, and then uh, the prolonged process of uh, like evaluation and uh, action. And uh, at the end, most of the action goes to a letter that goes to the provider if uh, standard of care was not met. There was no uh, sort of feedback process or system uh, redesign uh, process. Can I so, yeah. um, just ask with the regard to the first?
3: the first action. The the referral or the identification, can that
10: happen anywhere in the system or is it always happening with an issue of patient quality or Throughout okay. the system, no, throughout the system, any, any issue could be could be put into the uh, safety alert system uh, or it can come sometimes from observations or even a patient complaint can be highlighted if it is, if, so it is anywhere. I'll show the data relevant to this in a subsequent slide. So what uh, we want to move into, into a future state where we have a standardized process where it is efficient and it's focused on system uh, learning to improve safety and quality. So we want to redesign uh, the way these triggers are going and we want to make the review process more effective and engaging of the frontline and we want to have the continuous system learning and the continuous system improvement. Now the peer review process is in the middle of, of all of this and uh, we've had uh, you know, a number of issues. First is uh, we have, uh, like, the ongoing professional practice evaluation, which should be proactive and not only driven by triggers. And we have been cited multiple times by uh, by the Joint Commission, but in their last uh, visit here, they really applauded the process that we have implemented here at Highland, and we are rolling it over to san Leandro and uh, and uh, and Alameda Hospital where we give the cases for review for the physician leadership and this is not the triggered uh, by by events this is an ongoing performance evaluation process uh, plus we have the focused professional practice evaluation where somebody is on boarded for uh, uh, on, in the system or in the in the acute care facilities or where there is a new procedure which is introduced by uh, by the physician where it needs a more focused and more proctoring process. So um, looking at the peer review process standardization the vision vision, we have uh, triggers and referral, then we have case identification, there will be an evaluation, and then we want to look at it from a multidisciplinary approach to the system drive system improvement and, 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 and learning, and have a feedback process to really streamline uh, or eliminate the triggers of no value added and make the triggers of, of uh, value added uh, more, more, more focused on. Now, this is looking at calendar year 2017, and we are looking here at the triggers and referral. We had 1149. Uh, cases uh, that were reviewed by the quality and safety team and we found that the majority about seventy six percent were appropriate care where it was given uh, we had system issues in about seven percent of of them and we had uh, substandard care about thirteen percent there was few egregious uh, events that were reported in this now, if you look at the, at the triggers that comes through the safety alert, there were 687. These are the ones that are entered into the MIDAS system, and uh, 444 safety alerts were, were peer reviewed. <coughs> Those safety alerts come from uh, directly from the providers, or the nurses, or the frontline, and they are addressed by the unit team uh, leader, and they are also uh, classified and reviewed by the, by the quality and, 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 and safety team. So the, the, the standardization process, this is what will happen, the triggers, uh, uh, the QRC will prioritize those triggers and we look at what serious events are and what the safety alerts are. In the case identification, uh, the quality team and the providers will partner together to, to, to know those cases and uh, they will identify uh, the appropriateness of those cases. There will be an evaluation process uh, within the just culture and we most importantly like to look at those events not in isolation but within a system process and uh, addressing all issues not just like the nurse or the physician's action in isolation but you know what support structure they have and how is this happening. Within uh, uh, within the system, we will follow the the which, which is like uh, uh, define uh, the problem, measure, analyze, improve, uh, and uh, and control, or the PDSA cycle, which is at the at the heart of the Six uh, Sigma lean uh, process to improve those 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 uh, systems. Improve, and then we will use a just culture to see uh, you know uh, not just stopping at the human error but also we want to support our staff in the just culture control coach or discipline as we use a just culture algorithm but also we like to look why did the error happen why would the human error happen not just saying it's a human error and then move on the page we want to look at the situation if it is a situation at 12 midnight happening in an ED which is overcrowded and the physician or the nurse is handling more uh, more volume than they can, so we really need to address this from uh, system system issue. So the peer review, the causal investigation, uh, uh, which uh, can be uh, risen to uh, root cause analysis if it is a sentinel. This is how much time we have to report it by the states. But we want really to have, as as, as there is a serious event, we want to have an initial investigation within seventy two hours from that event, irrespective you know, of a weekend, weekdays, we like the team to get together and look into what happened and what did we learn from this. And then within one week period, we want to have a causal investigation and try to learn from that causal investigation what we need to change or what we need to implement or what policies we need to review or what we need to do in terms of, of the training. So uh, depending on the causal investigation, it might be elevated to an RCA, if it is a sentinel. Uh, it could be a manager follow-up, or it could be uh, failure mode and, uh, uh, and event analysis. Uh, uh, and then once the investigation is, is completed, we, we will try to disseminate learning uh, through this process. So in the redesign process, we have these blocks. The priority-based case identification triggers is completed. Uh, this is work that was done by Dr. Hussein with the chairs and the physician leadership. The just culture scoring is, is being piloted currently in Alameda Hospital. Uh, the diagnostic summary analytics is in progress right now to get more analytics concerning how we're going to have the diagnostic summary. And then the standard methodology for system improvement, uh, we are training, uh, you know, our our quality and safety team into those methodologies. and. We will be sharing those methodologies with the physician leadership and the nursing leadership, and then we will launch the peer review and post an investigation as an integrated process uh, throughout uh, the system. Uh, so I guess that's that's uh, that's it about the peer review. I think I did it in about ten minutes. No, you yeah. you you
0: flew. You, you did you did excellent. So stuff. I, I okay. just
10: want to have if you have any question concerning the peer review process. I would like to also go go over the diagram for the clinical practice council and the uh, policy review. Any question? Any questions, trustees?
3: Are there? Do you see trends? How does the peer review process demonstrate trends? Not specific to a, a particular provider, but trends, as you mentioned, in the, the ED at midnight over a month or two?
10: So uh, currently, in our current state, uh, you know, as I said earlier, the only, uh, I would say, trend that we, we find uh, is related to communication and uh, uh, communica- multidisciplinary communication, like communication between the nurse and, and the physician. Uh, so I, I, I cannot uh, I cannot really find more than that at this present. But our our data uh, analytic uh, process is not as effective as it should be. So uh, I can tell, for example, we're addressing operation issues within the OR in terms of supporting the surgeons with all uh, material and supplies. We are looking at uh, all time out processes and standardized processes. So. Uh, we don't have, like, a uh, negrecious cra- uh, trend that, that is currently uh, uh, problematic or keeping me at night, but we want to look further, and we want to have more analytics. We want to move the data from
5: just being descriptive to more, uh, uh, like, prescriptive analytic and understand it in a better way. Yep. And some of the trends are actually identified at, that, at the larger that IPPC level, so if, different departments have uh, a similar issue. Um, so there was recently a discussion about central line placements and, and wires. Um, and uh, it was noticed that it happened in a couple different departments. So that was that was discussed at a, at a much higher sort of department above the departmental level. And that's, I think, where trends are often identified.
10: Mm-hmm. We want also the learning to be at the system level. Like, if something happens here, we want to learn from it for our system, for, for, for Amida and San Leandro and vice versa. Any other questions of Dr. Jack? Can I over the CPC? Yeah. Does this sleep work?
0: Yeah,
7: but that's
0: not all. There was one more slide in his one deck. Wait, I have to call up because so I got
2: changed. Oh, I'll right. just give you a
10: minute. Yeah, I'll give you a minute, thank you. Dr. Hussein is on his way back from Washington. He was meeting with the CMS uh, president uh, and with uh, the American College of Physicians, basically to, uh, to represent the safety net hospital, uh, or hospitals uh, throughout the nation. But basically what we are trying to do is to let the CMS understand that uh, the social determinant of health require different kind of resources and also when we are benchmarked in quality that we need to have metrics to improve the social determinant of health. Yes. So our readmissions is different than Kaiser's readmissions or Sutter or so these these are things that really uh, Tanvir has been, uh, you know, representing us in
0: those, in those meetings. Here it is, It's well, trustees, it's uh, uh, page 59 of 67. Mm-hmm.
10: So just high level, um, I would like to, uh, to show how we were able to create a governance uh, structure throughout the system. And this is uh, concerning uh, policies, but also workflows when we are going to implement EPIC to have a more integrated structure. So at the, at the left side, uh, this is uh, the <coughs> clinical standardization work group. Once they come out, and the, there is a presentation in the clinical standardization work group from all three acute care facilities, from all three medical staff. And uh, uh, depending depending on what they are addressing, they will have a subject matter expert in those work groups. So once they come up and they uh, review this material, they agreed upon upon it, it is looked at. If it has uh, pharma, uh, ph- uh, ph- pharmacy and therapeutic uh, implication, it will go to the system-wide PNT. Then it has to be approved prior to going to uh, the Clinical Practice Council. Once it is approved in the Clinical Practice Council, it will go to the three MECs. And then it will come to the Board of trustees uh, qpsc and this also follows uh, the same the same as, as 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 policies. So basically, that's that's going to be the pathway. Uh, I think Epic team were very happy with this structure, and um, we have tested this uh, with prototype of data yeah. standardization. It it has it has worked. As we move forward. We are uh, restructuring our Polytech, which is uh, the uh, electronic uh, platform that we use for our policies uh, in order to align it with the Joint Commission element of performances. So every policy will be aligned with the, with the element of performance. And we will educate uh, the leadership on standard lexicon to streamline and clarify organizational document, whether they are policies, procedures, uh, protocols, clinical practice guidelines, and clinical standards, like we said, for decision support processes, as we move uh, forward. So uh, the clinical practice council is uh, chaired, is co-chaired by Dr. Hussein, who is a physician He will be starting to practice uh, soon. He got his California license, and uh, by by the nurse, uh, by the nurse leader, and it has representation from our three medical staff and a, a representation from nursing and, and physicians. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's what uh, what we are doing right now. We have about 6,000 uh, 6, policies in in, in uh, policy tech, and uh, we are going by uh, by prioritizing and regularly reviewing those policies and retiring whatever
1: uh, policies that are not relevant. Excellent. So one point of significance for this committee, that, and that goes to the second to last point that uh, Dr. Jamaluddin made in terms of. You know, one of the, um, you know, pieces of work that's being undertaken by the committee is to really refine the definition of the various documents that we use. And the, we have a lot of policies which are, in fact, you know, procedures and guidelines or clinical standards. Um, And so the goal ultimately is to move each of these documents into its appropriate bucket so that uh, policies are, in fact, policies. And what that means from the standpoint of this committee is that the uh, documents coming to you as we go forward uh, are going to be in most likelihood fewer than what you have seen in the past because a number of the things that we call policies now are in effect, you know, Guidelines in clinical standards and procedures. So, um, you know, just so you understand that the the whole point of having you know one this consolidated structure to deal with the the clinical practice council is really designed to refine the focus on how these things are being created. And so, uh, you know, just so you understand that, you know, the things that you'll be seeing on a going forward basis are, in fact, truly policies and not some of these other things. And I know that there's been some frustration over the course of time and, you know, well, geez, you know, why am I looking at filtration rates and things along those lines? Because I'm really not in a position. So I think there's going to be a lot less of that. And the things that you'll be looking at in the policies are things that I think um, you'll, you know, feel are more appropriate to your review and in, in, uh, in input on them. Chiefs of staff,
0: any comments on this? Sorry, I apologize on on this workflow. Do you feel like your input was uh, 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 taken on the development of this?
6: Yes, it's still a uh, working progress. Uh, I think uh, we are supposed to have uh, another retreat to our uh, finalize things and it uh, is. <coughs> yes, uh, it is uh, we're, we're, it is hard to, uh, we have come up with uh, all or conceptualize uh, on the uh, flow uh, the flow sheet and uh, graphs so forth. Uh, it's quite another thing to put it in actual practice. So I would really uh, I think we need to put it into actual practice and then uh, up, that'll be, you know, proof. Okay.
0: Dr. Hearn, Dr. Magog, any
11: comments on this flow sheet? I think the this flow sheet and the development of the CPC has been actively discussed with engagement from the medical staff at Alameda. Yeah. And the concerns that we've had in this development have been are
5: is currently reflected on, on the flow sheet uh, that we have right now.
11: Yeah.
5: Dr. I think it's, um, I, I agree. I think a lot of work has gone into it. Um, from the, from the, the Highland, from the non-San Leandro Hospital, non-Alameda Hospital folks, I think it has been tremendously helpful um, because a lot of the policies that we normally would we would discuss in MEC are sort of discussed and approved in the CPC beforehand, so that's actually been a tremendous time saver for our MEC. That being said, it is a tremendous time involvement for those people who are on the CPC, um, and I think it's actually been it's tremendously challenging for especially our community hospital partners for those groups to meet just because it, it is a, a significant, significant time commitment, whereas in this setting, some of that administrative time is already
4: accounted for. Yeah. Uh, Trustee Sharma.
5: Uh, just a question.
4: Are you using uh, some sort of standard uh, clinical pathways in order to create these? And which ones are you using?
10: Yes. And uh, uh, what we call the... Uh, the physician order uh, management or computer physician order management, there are standard pathways that are, there is a library of them by EPIC mm-hmm. and they are going to be shared with all the physician <coughs> uh, subject matter experts and leaders and, and discussed, uh, discussed accordingly. Now in terms of uh, um, like policy, uh, like a revision schedule and pathways, we will have a chart of accountability and we'll have a dashboard once we finish clearing up all of this. So we'll, uh, we'll identify clear ownerships and it is passed on if the owner has left there will be somebody who's in that position who will this mm-hmm. and
4: push this through the system. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have about 6,000 you, you yep. think that you're going to have to mm-hmm. get through? Yeah. And how does that fit on the, t- the EPIC timeline? Do you think well, you're going to... I yeah. No, <laughs> uh, what's going to happen... It's EPIC. Yeah, what's going to
10: happen, once okay. we get the... Uh, uh, in EPIC, I think we will have about 400. Whenever we have one, we'll put the relevant policies and eliminate whatever is not... Relevant, So there is uh, word and phrase searches in the, in the, so let's say I have a computer order entry uh, that is relevant for one or two policies, but I can find 20, 30 policies. Some policies have been added without being reviewed, so we'll clean it up. So it is going to be in parallel, this,
4: yeah. So you feel you'll be able to get that up in time for?
10: I think that's the best way we could find. We, we, we might really need to retune our approach, but in case we do that, we'll bring it to the board. Great.
4: And just one more question. Um, this is for kind of the medical director. Do you feel that um, the individual staff at each of the facilities is being heard in this process, and that this will address any concerns that the medical staff there may have. I understand that practices may vary, not necessarily widely, but there may be some variance in practice. I think if we follow the, the workflow, it will involve the, the local experts at
11: each site. But what I mentioned earlier is that finding that physician engagement, the experts for each policy it's challenging at least for my side mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and compensating for their time as community physicians because it involves a lot of revealing sure. and and uh, so that's uh, but if we follow the workflow itself we're happy with with what we have thank you I I think this is a tremendous
0: work I, I think we should count this one as a success it's a work in progress uh, it provides clarity where there's Previously, not been clarity. My, my, my request, Dr. J., is if this actually sheet could be included with every policy set that comes with us so we can always kind of look at this sheet when we're looking at policies and procedures. It's kind of our guidebook, if you will. Okay.
10: Every policy that's going to reach
0: you will check this. Yes, um, but I mean, if we can just include this in the package okay. uh, every, every month so we can just say, oh yeah, that's how it flowed. Okay. It will
4: it, it'll, it'll give us a better conceptualization of how it flew. I think that, uh, and I if I we can just see you. some sort of metric to see how, the, how you're progressing <laughs> yeah. in terms of getting all those policies in place, that'd be okay. Yeah. Okay. great. Okay, so Dr. Jay, thank you for your report. Uh, my standard question, do you have any further comments,
0: concerns, or suggestions to help us on any of these issues? I, I do not thank okay. you for your support. Okay, thank you. With that, we will move to item uh, age planning, calendar, and issue tracking uh, that we're, we're, we're going to make time here today. So our next QPSC. Uh, board of Trustees meeting is Thursday, June 28th. I'd like to remind uh, this committee uh, that, that there is not an August Board of Trustee meeting, but there is an August QPSC meeting. So uh, please let uh, the clerk of the board know with regard to uh, your your presence or or, or, or uh, projected absence. We need four of six uh, to make this a quorum. Uh, we need so we make, we just barely made that today. Um, So thank you for that, and tracking items, uh, I think we'd like to report back on uh, the critical care uh, issues at Alameda Hospital sometime hopefully before uh, 1 June, Uh, and in future state we'd like to report on uh, the transfer center as we've discussed before. And
3: um, I'd just like to have further discussion about whether we can where and how we can hear about position
0: contract terms and so I'll, I'll add that to our tracking calendar discussion you. about contracting uh, terms and lapses and the like um, with that we will close out item H and we will go now uh, item I was actually it's a written report already included in the trustees packet we've already reviewed that we'll close out with item J legal counsel Oh. <laughs> I caught him right when he left. <laughs> <laughs> Close. <laughs> we need legal counsel. No. I yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, in
2: the uh, issue tracking. Yes. yes. We do Sorry. the pulmonary thing. That you know how the working is. You know resolution of that. So
0: uh, the, say that one more time in the mic.
2: The the acute care pulmonary at Elmira okay. Hospital. Just a. Uh, A status update on that? Yes,
0: oh yes, absolutely. Uh, Council? Yes. item item j legal counsel's report on action
1: taken in closed session okay yes the committee did meet in closed session and they considered the uh, credential reports for each of the medical staffs and approved approved credentials and privileges for fully qualified practitioners recommended by the various medical staffs and they also received a report on the status of uh, ongoing accreditation issues But took no other action. Thank you, Council. So with that, you get the gift of
0: twenty seconds on time. Thank you. That closes the session.